So uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. We are in a series called Lessons from the Land of Quarantine where we are pausing and we're kind of walking through and, and I'm just kind of sharing some lessons that I've been learning. We've had a couple guest speakers that are sharing lessons they're learning that we might not have learned had we not walked through this time of quarantine. So we're just kind of a redemption of this difficult space. Now, our anchor verse is found in Psalm 23, four. So if you're new to the broadcast, if you're just tuning in, you've gathered with some folks and you're growing in your faith or you're exploring God, the anchor verse is, what I encourage all of us to memorize during this series. It's a a bit of scripture that's just kind of like the springboard. It's the theme of the whole thing. And this says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. And we chose this verse because it really does give us this truth that that in the time of quarantine, this is a season that we talked about in our first week is liminal space. It's the space in between. It's this transformative time and it can feel like a valley. It can feel dark. That's some of the biblical language uh, of what liminal space is. And so during this time that God is transforming us, uh, God is close. God is right there with us and God comforts and protects and guides us in the midst of it. And so that's what has kind of been our springboard. And one of the lessons that I wanna talk about today Today centers around something that I feel like just kind of bubbled up as I was watching and listening and trying to be contemplative and, and hear and see how God was moving around us. And that was this, that during this land of quarantine, I have seen something very, very interesting. And that is that we have an intense need for need. Think about that. What, what is, what's been exposed in our lives during this season is how many things we actually think we need that we didn't even know we needed. But all of a sudden, when they were taken away from us, we started to freak out. We didn't know what to do with ourselves. Kind of like this. Check out this video. You know, quarantine has been really great for us as a family. We, we use the time to get a lot closer and do more things together and learn more about each other. There were a few little hiccups along the way, but for the most part, it was pretty good. I would say the, you know, one of the bigger things that happened was, you know, like my coffee pot breaking, but it was no big deal. We, I made it work. It was fine. You know, I was really disappointed when I went to put my mug in and it didn't really work, but I was able to get on Amazon and I just made a quick purchase. Um, But of course, because quarantine, it was gonna take a little longer. And so I just decided that I would do instant coffee, which wasn't great, but I made it work and it was fine. Have you ever had instant coffee? It's honestly not bad. I mean, you can really you can really dive into it. And if you get a really good flavored creamer, it's really not that bad. Amazon really responded well and took the time to address my concerns. They did it on my time schedule and I felt like it was a really great teaching moment for me to show my kids how to respond with grace and dignity. You know, in the middle of a pandemic and quarantine and and just seeing how to treat other people. So when the box arrived, it just, it wasn't really a big deal. We had made it through and I had my instant coffee. It was, it was fine. It wasn't a big deal. And I think, 
you know, through all of this, we were able to make do. And I think at the end, my family would say that this was a really great time together. Do you, uh, do you resonate with that? Do you understand? Do you see? Do you experience that? Like, does that make sense to you? Uh, right? And the truth is, during this season, when a need gets exposed that we didn't know was there, at the end of the day, we don't know what to do with ourselves. Right? We don't know how to respond, right? We think we're responding so well. That's one thing I love about this little video is like the, the self-deception, right? I just handled it really well. You know, it didn't really bother me. We did really, but just, she's falling apart as each day goes on, right? Without her coffee, right? Uh, I actually had a conversation with somebody as things were starting to reopen a few weeks ago and restaurants were starting to open and they caught wind that Marshall's was gonna open. And somebody actually said, I just need to go stand in Marshall's. I just need to go stand in it, right? We don't even know that these needs exist, but they do show us and they do reveal something that's very interesting in our lives, that our lives and the culture that we live in has created this this really false sense of necessity and need and want that we can fill so easily in our affluence that we can actually meet that need so quickly. We don't even recognize that we become dependent on it. We don't even recognize that it's a part of our emotional stability, that it's a part of what gives us peace. And so here's the, here's the kind of tension that we live in in this season as things are opening back up. If we rush back too soon, if we rush back to Marshall's, if we rush back to Starbucks, if we rush back to Amazon, all these things that can quickly and instantly kind of give us peace, if we go back too soon, we aren't going to learn too much. And so we need to pause and we need to ask ourselves some questions about this, uh, the cold sweats that we've experienced because we couldn't sit in a restaurant, because we couldn't go and purchase another shirt that we really didn't need, because we couldn't get the coffee at our favorite coffee place. Now, I want to say right now, are all of these things bad? No, they're not bad. What's dangerous is our dependency on them and we don't know it. Because what it does is it creeps into our lives and it becomes kind of an idol. It becomes something that gives us comfort. It becomes a a whoopee, right? That blanket, uh, you know, that gives us comfort. And we don't even realize it, right? We don't even realize that we need it. And then all of a sudden when it's taken away from us, we realize why I bought into the lie. I bought into the lie that all the marketing gurus and everybody's given to me that I have to have this, that when life is is too bad, I just need to go to Marshall's and get that shirt. I just need to go get a new pair of shoes. I just need to go get a new fly rod, Dennis Anderson. No, he doesn't. I'm just kidding, right? Whatever that might be. And so I wonder if we could pause for a few moments today, specifically 20 minutes and 21 seconds. That's what they tell me I have left. And I wonder if we could ask the question, could we get some wisdom from scripture on this, right? So if you are new to the broadcast, if you're new to Crossroads, if you're new to faith and tuning in, like we, every week we we ask this question, what wisdom can scripture offer us? Because that's the way uh, I understand scripture to be a book of wisdom. I don't understand it to be a rule book that I have to follow because that would be impossible to do. And that would just create in me all types of anxiety. But when I understand that scripture is inspired and it's given to me and it was uh, guided by God through the history of the church so that I could see people struggling with how to live a life that is faithful, that is pleasing, that is good, that is building up of one another, then I can actually go to scripture and go, okay, what is it that the spirit of God wants to bring into my heart, into my life? And so we're going to do that today. Uh, And so if you're new to scripture, Bible study, like don't freak out. Uh, We're going to walk through 
this together. All the verses that we talk about will be up on the screen. And, and I wanna start with something that is really a lot of us, even if you're not a church person, you probably have heard this if you've ever been to a funeral, let's say. And that is where our anchor verse come from, comes from. And that's Psalms 23. Psalm 23, verse one in the King James version, right? This is the one that I kind of grew up memorizing out of the King James version, right? It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? You might've been given this in a card, a condolence card, or you might've seen it being read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Wouldn't that be wonderful if it were true? And a lot of us, we've been living our lives thinking it is true, especially those of us that have grown up around church. We've grown up in a faith community. And we would say this is, yes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want want. But then what happens? Quarantine. Ha! Huh. Quarantine happens. And then we start living out the quarantine COVID translation, the QCT translation. And it is the Lord is not my shepherd and I'm filled with want, <laughs> right? And that's one of the beautiful things about scripture is sometimes in its aspiration, it reveals the truth. Like, wait a second, if I'm filled with want, maybe God isn't shepherding me. That's what I desire, that's what I want. But all of a sudden I find myself filled with need, filled with want, right? And so perhaps we ought to think about this verse as more of an if then statement, right? If you go to like the Ryan Howell paraphrase, when the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. That there's this reality that when I'm living in a space of contentment, when I'm living in a space of understanding, when I'm not, when I'm not shaken by quarantine, when I'm not shaken by my coffee shop clothes, when I'm not shaken by, I go to Marshall's and it's shut down, right? Then I'm living that space, that area of my life. I am living with the Lord as my shepherd. Now, I think we all have divisions and areas and parts of our lives. And in some areas, the Lord is a shepherd. In some areas, the Lord isn't. And maybe for some of us, we're like, nope, God's not a shepherd anywhere, right? I want in all spaces. That's okay. We're all in a different journey. And what I wanna talk about today is how Jesus has this great conversation with a man and he kind of exposes how to start moving to a space of God being the shepherd, how to actually do some self-examine, right? And I actually think that this passage might've been the inspiration for the great philosophers uh, known as the Spice Girls. Uh, and in their, in their inspiration, they wrote that song, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I actually think that Mark 10 was the inspiration for it because in this chapter, in this verse, in this story, Jesus tells this man what he really wants, even though he doesn't know it, what he really needs. So let's take a few minutes and look here through this and see if we can't gain any wisdom. So Mark chapter 10 says, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like just picture this in your mind, right? So Jesus is out, he's teaching, he's got his disciples and this dude just comes running up and he falls down before him and he has this sense of distress, right? He's distressed and he wants to know, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Now, what you need to know is right now within Judaism in the first century, there's a huge question of this idea of eternal life. Right? Maybe you've heard of the term, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. These were kind of like political parties right, within the nation of Israel. That's kind of the best way for us to think about them. Like you had Democrats, Republicans, uh, you have like liberals and conservatives and independents, whatever, right? But so the Sadducees and Pharisees, they really functioned as kind of unique political parties. And they believed different things about culture, society, about what the relationship with Rome should be like. And one of the big differences between the Sadducees and the Pharisees were that the Sadducees, they believed that there 
there would be no resurrection of the dead. They believed that everybody died and that was just it. So you just lived your life here and you died. There was no uh, resurrection of the dead. Everybody died. Well, the Pharisees believed, no, 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 there is a resurrection of the dead. There is death for some, there is destruction and it's an eternal consequence to be apart from God. But there is a resurrection of the dead. Those who have been faithful to God, right? And so this man comes and, and he wants to have this resurrection of the dead. He wants this eternal life. Now it's important to just remember that he's asking about something that happens after he dies because Jesus is never gonna talk about that. Jesus is gonna talk about something right now, but that's what he's focused on. That's what he wants. There's this need in his life, right? And so Jesus, in response to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, hey, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, I'd love to expound on this. And we have actually talked about why Jesus said this in a, in a message a while ago, uh, where Jesus is talking about the goodness of God, that God is actually good and what that means and how it gets misinterpreted. But for today, I wanna just kind of set that one on the side and, and, Jesus, and go to a different part of Jesus's answer. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he says, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, like check, check. Don't steal, uh, depends on how you define steal. I guess it depends on how you define adultery. Don't bear false witness, now check. Don't defraud, honor your father. So he lays out like five or six of the 10 commandments, right? That this person who was Jewish would certainly have known. And what's happening is Jesus is starting through this like really interesting question about the goodness of God. Why are you asking, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. And then he says, you know, the commandments. And Jesus is starting to take this uh, man here on an inward journey. He's starting to get him to do some self-reflection. Basically, I think what Jesus is doing here is saying, why are you asking the question? Like what inside of you is stirring that you need to know about eternal life? Like, don't you know the law? Like, aren't you, you're a religious person. So he starts to bring him to all the things that actually are not providing the answer. And he's kind of starting to do some deconstruction of his faith, deconstruction. He's asking, what? you know the commands, like what's the issue here? And it's interesting what he says. He says, teacher, notice he doesn't call him good teacher anymore. He says, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. I've kept them all. I love it. Like, and I think what Jesus sees is like, he's getting it, right? He's done all the right things, yet there's still a need in his life. There's still a want. There's still a lack of certainty about exactly how God feels about him, right? And, and I love that basically Jesus recognizes that this man has intuited that life, that eternal life, that, that this relationship with God, that what God wanted for him was far more than rule keeping. It was gonna be found far more than in keeping the law, right? He says, I've done all those things from the time I was just a little kid. I did all those things, but yet he still feels, what do I have to do? I just don't know. There's this longing inside of me. There's this depth of, of, of lack that I don't know what to do with. And then we get this amazing, one of the best lines in the whole story, which I think is so encouraging for all of us. It says, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. I love that. You know, Jesus saw this, this man and he loved him. 
He saw his question. He saw his misunderstanding. He saw the journey that he was on and he just loved him. This is a very unique statement about Jesus. We don't see very many times where Jesus looks at a person and it says that he felt love. Like we see Jesus feeling compassion for people, brokenhearted, but there's a love. Like he sees something in this young man and he loved it. I love it. Like Jesus saw something and he said, this guy's got it. Like, you know that too. Like if you've ever been in, in charge or you've ever been in a, in a work responsibility uh, position where you have to hire somebody and you do that first interview and you just know it. Oh, this person has it. You're not even sure why, but you just know it, right? It just resonates. You're like, this is, this is who, she's the one. This is who we need to hire. She is it. And you just know it because you see something in them and you love them. And that's what Jesus loves. And I think maybe it was this man's honesty I don't know what to do. Maybe it was his tenacity. Maybe it was his humility. Maybe it was just his passion. The guy comes running through the crowd, throws himself at the feet of Jesus. But whatever it was, it says that looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. And in his love, he says, okay, here's the scoop. You're missing one thing. You're lacking one thing. So what I want you to do is go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, I don't know about you, right? But I would think this is a big request, right? And so did the man, right? He says, one thing you like, go and sell all you possess, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven. Now, remember he's talking about, I wanna inherit eternal life. Jesus brings him back to the present. Here's what you need to do right now. You're lacking something and to get there, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go sell all you possess and give it to the poor right now. Go take, go take care of needs that are present right now. Go take that emergency fund, right? And I want you to go and I want you to start taking care of emergencies that exist right now in other people's lives instead of waiting for the emergency in your life, right? He says, go do that. And, and when you do that, your mind is gonna be focused. Your actions are gonna show that you're actually worried about heavenly things, right? You're actually worried about divine things. And then come and follow me. And just like most of us, scripture says, but at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Now, this is a striking story, first of all, because one, uh, you have a, a Jewish man who owns much property. And in Mark, we don't know much about him. According to Mark, this is just a man who's Jewish, who has a lot of property. And we would be left to think that if there's a Jewish man in first century occupied Rome who has much property, that this property has probably been gained in an ill-gotten way, that there's probably been some oppression right? That the, the, as, as the class goes to own property, right? To be that property owner, uh, especially as a Jewish person in occupied territory, this was not, you weren't getting wealth because you worked hard. Economics were quite different, right? And so there's this sense that maybe there's been such worry in his life about the future, about what's going to happen to him. He's built up all this mass at the expense of others. And Jesus is calling him to do at times what he's called others to do in different words, but in as much. He has a great conversation with uh, a, a tax collector and, and they say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go and, and return whatever I've taken from others. And they respond to Jesus well, but this man is sad and because there's something in his life that he's leaning into his possessions for and Jesus is trying to pull him out of that. And I started asking myself this question as I thought about this passage. What did he lack? What did he lack? So Jesus says to him, you lack one thing, right? You lack one thing. 
And I thought, well, what, what is it that he likes? Does he lack generosity? Is he greedy? And that's why Jesus has to go sell his possessions. What is it like? But then I just started thinking, no, no, no. It, it, because of what Jesus offers him, there's one thing that he lacks. And Jesus knows that he has the heart disposition. He has the right attitude to respond, to have his life transformed and to live a life that transforms others. I think Jesus saw that in him. So what was it that he lacked? I think the one thing that he lacked was the one thing that could actually satisfy his soul. He had spent his whole life amassing the wealth Right? He has spent his whole life worrying about the future. How do I get eternal life? I've got all the property, living in his privilege. But the one thing that he lacked was the one thing that would satisfy his soul and it was Jesus. It was a life committed to the way of Jesus. Like right there, hands on deck. Because here's the thing, what Jesus saw in this man was the same thing that he saw in Peter, in James, in John, in Matthew, in all the disciples all those that became apostles, the 12 that walked with him were given this exact same invitation. Put down your nets, leave your tax collector booth, abandon it all and come follow me. Come follow me. And, and we have this amazing story of what could have been the 13th disciple, right? We have this amazing story of a life that we have no idea what would have happened had this, this man responded the way that Peter did, who left his boat and fishing business and followed Jesus, who left his home, left his house, left everything. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who left everything to follow Jesus. Matthew, who left his privilege in his tax collector's booth to follow Jesus. They did exactly what Jesus asked of them if they really wanted to have life. But this man, he was saddened because there was such a deep need and so he leaves in a sad disposition. He leaves not being able to do what Jesus has asked, to receive what Jesus is offering. And Jesus, it says, looks around and he says to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Notice what Jesus does here. Jesus doesn't say how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter uh, eternal life, right? He doesn't say those who are wealthy to inherit eternal life. He never even speaks about eternal life. It's not a part of Jesus's really vocabulary. Like eternity is not, Jesus is not concerned about eternity. Jesus is concerned about now. The kingdom of heaven is present now. You store up treasures in the kingdom of heaven is not storing up treasures in some kingdom that's far off, but it's in a kingdom that is coming in right now, right? The treasure of other people's lives, the treasure of wholeness, the treasure of bringing equity, the treasure of the joy that is found in the elevation of the other, the love of your neighbor, right? This kingdom where God rules and reigns in a just and equitable way. You store up treasures in that kingdom. You find your wholeness in that space. Jesus just wasn't concerned with this idea of eternal life. Just like most Jews would just be concerned with you're in God's hands, in God's care. And why is it so hard? Why would it be hard for wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? Well, I think the lesson from the land of quarantine helps us with that is because when you're wealthy and you start to feel a measure of dissatisfaction with the kingdoms of this world, it's very easy for you and I, it's very easy for the wealthy to go and get a quick fix, to go and find some peace with that cup of Starbucks, to go and find some peace from that Lyft coffee, to go and find some peace from that Culver's ice cream. I'm just naming stuff that are in the Johnstown Plaza that I live by, right? I can go to Bad Daddy's Burger Bar, get myself a burger and feel better about myself, right? If I'm really feeling bad, I'll go over and get, uh, get Cafe Mexicali with that habanero cheese sauce. Oh, it's divine. That is the kingdom of heaven, I think, right? But it's just easy. When you have the means to do that, 
you're able to go and kind of cover up the deep longing of your life. And all of a sudden, we don't think we have it, but you know, when we're having a bad day, we just, we, we, we unconsciously go stand in marshals, see what deal we can find. We unconsciously go play tennis. We go, we go do our thing to provide a little bit of peace. But then when society shuts down, when those things are no longer available to us, we start getting cold sweats. We start throwing coffee cups around. Our kids are hiding under the table from us because it's so hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven because in a sense, we feel like, well, I don't need the kingdom of heaven. I can actually self-medicate. I have the means, the affluence, the privilege to self-medicate. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor. The harsh words of Jesus were blessed are the poor because there, there is no distraction. There is no ability to avoid the love of God, the hard work of wholeness. And so what Jesus offers this young man is what will make him whole forever, starting right now, entering the kingdom of heaven. But he was stuck in what he thought would make him happy. He was stuck in what was making him happy now. And so that very thing that he found so much joy and comfort in, that wealth, those possessions that offered him the peace that he had, it's all a facade. But it kept him because it was like, oh, that's it. it had such a grip on his life. See, we think he had a grip on his possessions and he couldn't give them up. The truth is the possessions had a grip on his life, held him tightly. And so Jesus, as he walks away, again, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And we just have to get out of our heads. Jesus is not talking about eternal life here. He's talking about the fullness of life right now. The fullness of life, because we will pursue peace with our wealth. We will leverage it. But Jesus is saying, listen, this is the biggest like visible image that I can give you is these possessions are providing you a false sense of stability. They're providing you a false sense of peace. You're turning to them to find wholeness and it's never gonna be. And what quarantine and what the societal shutdown has shown us is, wow, there are some things in our lives that we have turned to for peace and wholeness and we didn't even know it. We didn't have eyes to see, but now we have eyes to see. So here's the lesson from the land of quarantine. What makes us happy, if we're not careful, can rob us of what makes us whole. What makes us happy can rob us of what makes us whole because it's just too easy in our wealth, in our affluence and in our privilege to turn to Marshalls, to turn to Target, to turn to Starbucks, to turn to J. Jill, to turn to uh, Shields, to turn to, you know, whatever, Bass Pro, whatever your, you know, whatever your pleasure is. It's just, it's easy in our affluence to turn to those things, to distract us from ourselves, to distract us from the pain of others. And in a sense, to avoid the goodness and the love of God. They'll rob us of it. And here's the thing. You say, well, hold on. That's really harsh, Ryan. Like you're saying, whatever. think of it like a donut, right? <laughs> think of it like a donut. Nobody eats a donut because it makes you whole. You eat a donut because it makes you happy, <laughs> right? You know, I know this because I went to the donut house a couple of weeks ago, bought two do- or a couple of days ago, bought two dozen donuts. We have guests. And I ate that donut, which is nowhere near keto. Like, oh, how the mighty have fallen, Right? <laughs> but I don't eat that donut because it makes me whole. I eat it because it makes me happy. And at the end of the day, it actually keeps me from what makes me whole physically. That's the image. Like, but just hold on to that image for a second and now take it to our spiritual life. The same holds true. What will provide us that immediate gratification 
will oftentimes keep us from what will make us whole and what will make others whole around us. You see, I shall not want comes when we say I have in Jesus. I shall not want because in Jesus, I already have this way of Jesus that shepherds me, this way of following that shepherds me where I don't need the possessions to provide my identity. I don't need the possessions. I don't need the Starbucks. I don't need the Walmart. I don't need the Target. I don't need the wherever. I don't need the whatever because who I am is found deeply rooted in the love of God. And I have a trust that the God of the universe is actually with me, guiding me, caring for me. And when that happens, guess what? Then I can go back. So what about tomorrow, right? What about our everyday normal lives, right? Our challenge here at Crossroads is to be peacemakers, people who bring wholeness into the world. That's the kingdom of God. And we do this in our everyday normal lives. You don't need a program at church to be a peacemaker. It happens this time tomorrow at work, in your neighborhood, at the PTL, whatever it is that you're doing. So what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, here's the thing. We've got to remember that we will never find wholeness if Jesus is only a fraction. If God is only a fraction of our lives, if we give God Sunday or we give God Tuesday or we give God when there's a small group or when somebody, it's not, but, but we have to be consumed and be baptized and be filled with the spirit of God and let that guide us into this world. If God is just my five minute devotion time, right? My 15 minutes quiet time. And then I walk away and I'm not actually living in and leaning into the whispers of the Holy Spirit throughout the day, if God's just that fraction, we'll never find wholeness. We will easily be distracted by the ads that tell us we're missing, we're lacking, we're wanting, you need, get more donuts, get more donuts, get more donuts. And so we look at our lives and we say, where's the space where I get the cold sweats? Where's, what's my coffee pot, right? Where's that space that it was taken away from me and I can't believe how much it affected my life. Well, there's a space that maybe God is only a fraction. And you and I may have spaces in our lives where God is the whole. And the work of the spirit in our lives is to consistently and always be growing us and revealing in us. Here's a place where I'm just a fraction. I can bring you wholeness, but you gotta lay it down. And you gotta go through the withdrawals and you gotta get the shakes. And before you go back, you need to understand why you needed to leave. And this is the encouragement. Before you rush back in to eating out, before you rush back into the coffee shop, before you rush back into the shopping, before you rush back into the quote unquote normal way of life, just pause and say, do I have to go back? And once we settle into that space that no, I don't have to go back. I'm perfectly content without going to Marshall's. So I know some of you just tuned out right then. You're like, what? No way. I'm perfectly content without ever buying another uh, piece of uh, sporting equipment for my favorite hobby. I'm perfectly content to never watch another Denver Broncos game. Did the internet just glitch? When I'm perfectly content in Christ, then I can go back. Then I can go and enjoy these things and they can have their proper place in my life. God is not thrown, you know, taken off the throne because there might not be football as we know it this season. And we can just be at peace that's okay. God's going to walk me through it, right? Then we can go back. Then we can enjoy them and they don't have control over us. We don't live in a place of need or want. We just live in a place of joy. God's provided it. It's here today. It may be gone tomorrow and I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to receive it as a blessing from God in my life. And that's wholeness. 
That's wholeness apart from any outside, but it's just internal wholeness that comes by living into the divine nature that's a part of you and a part of me. And this is salvation. This is the, what God is doing in us and God is inviting us to bring into this world, to live in it at present, to enter the kingdom of heaven, to lay aside the, the possessions and the things that would, we would so easily uh, turn to for that quick fix, that happiness. And when you and I start to live into wholeness, two things are gonna show up in our lives. And it's kind of frustrating because you wouldn't think it, but two things, you're gonna have contentment and you're gonna have discontentment in your world. You're gonna have contentment with your family. Your kids are all of a sudden gonna be okay. <laughs> your identity isn't gonna be based on your kids and their profession and whether they're well-behaved or whether they embarrass you, all this stuff. You're just gonna be content. God's at work, God's present, God's there, God loves you. You're gonna be content with the work that you have. You're gonna be content with the way you look. You're gonna be content with your clothes. You're gonna find contentment in all these areas of life that used to be the things that provided peace and stability. And it's powerful. You almost become like indestructible because of the contentment that you have. You're excited to watch some television show. You turn on the satellites out because of a storm. You're like, yeah, oh, well, no big deal. Doesn't affect you anymore the way it used to. Doesn't send you down a spiral but it's also gonna produce discontentment for all the right reasons. You're gonna be discontent when you see the suffering of your neighbor. You're gonna be discontent with poverty. You're gonna be discontent with racism. You're gonna be discontent with the ways in which peace is broken and fractured in our world. And you will be compelled to bring the kingdom forcefully into those spaces. And you will feel good about it. And it will be an adventure because there's a discontentment in you because you say, oh, I don't want anybody to be a slave to brokenness, that slave to sin, right? I don't want anybody to experience, I want everybody to experience the freedom that is found in Christ. And so you bring that joy into other people's lives. You lay down your life for others because you're discontent with the things of this world because you are living in a different one right here with everybody. So what is God inviting you into today? Perhaps God is inviting you to find a church that will never say that the Broncos are not playing. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Like that freaked you out. Cold sweats, you're done. No. What is it that the spirit is whispering to you today? Just trust me. This God of the universe loves you. This God of the universe likes you. This God of the universe doesn't want you to change. This God of the universe wants you to know that you are his beloved, that you are her beloved, whichever pronoun you wanna use for God, whatever helps you that this God that is love is so good and it's too good to be true. And that love transforms us into love. And so what is love inviting you into today? Perhaps you feel an invitation to take time to examine a strong impulse in your life to return to something. It wasn't available, now it's available. And, and it brings you so much peace and joy and stability, but maybe too much peace and joy and stability. Maybe it's taking away the peace and joy and stability that you ought to have in Christ. And so you just need to take some time to examine those things. Maybe it's an opportunity to take an inventory of areas of your life that God is only fractionally in control of, right? Take an inventory. What fraction of your life is God? What fraction of your life does love control? Does love control everything up to the point of somebody that lies to you? then forget it. Does love control your life up to the point where your children disrespect you? Does love control your life up to the point where your stocks start to fall? Does love control your life up to the point when somebody is a different color than you or different economic status than you? 
Like take inventory of that. And here's a great spiritual exercise for all of us this week. Perhaps we could read Mark chapter 10 again, this story in its entirety. You could go to BibleGateway.com or YouVersion.com. Heck, you could just ask Google Mark chapter 10 and it'll come up, right? And just read through this, but ask yourself this question. How would I have responded to Jesus? And maybe a better way to ask this is, what would cause me great sadness if Jesus were to ask me to set aside? Now, nowhere does it ever say, by the way, in this story that if this, if this man would have sold all his possessions, that he never would have had other possessions, that he never would have regained what was lost. There's nothing, it's just, this is what was asked of him and it caused sadness. And that's a great space to figure out, hey, this would cause me great sadness if I had to give it up. Maybe God doesn't have 100% of it. God asks you to give up your car. God asks you to give up your home. God asks you to give up the favorite pair of jeans that you look so good in. God asks you to, to, to give up eating out. God asks you to never, ever, 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 ever go into super target again, right? I don't know why God would ever ask you to do that. To be honest with you, super target is, is awesome. But whatever it might be, like what would it be that would cause you deep sadness? And this is not the space to start beating yourself up in. It's the space to rejoice. This is where God is showing you. Okay, hold on a second. Before I go back, let me figure out why I need to leave so that I can go back in the right frame of mind so I can go back whole, not just happy. And that's a great space to be. So we have a great song. Uh, take a few moments here. We have that digital connect card. It would mean so much to me if you'd fill it out. I just, I get to read the prayer request. I love to see who's uh, tuning in and checking that out. So uh, take a second, fill out that digital connect card. I wanna encourage you to be generous, to give in our offering. There's multiple ways you can give online through the offering envelopes. If, if you're enjoying and, and receiving from the broadcast and, and you love your church, I would encourage you to give generously and allow God to work through that generosity. And uh, finally, during these next few moments, just take some time to reflect. The band has prepared a great song, great song about the shepherding nature of God and God is our shepherd, removing from us fear, work, you know, guiding us, directing us. And our pastor of care and support, Perry Creed, has a very special prayer to pray over us, a blessing over us during this song. So take a deep breath. And I think during this song, more than our five seconds of serenity, you actually might experience God in a very, very powerful way. Thanks for being a part of today.